Well, welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. I'm so excited to be here uh, for this episode with Pastor Sung Kim from Grace Church. My name's Nate. I'm also on staff. And, uh, you know, we've probably mentioned it in a lot of different ways, but, but one of the goals of this podcast is to kind of discuss things that wouldn't necessarily fit on a Sunday, in a Sunday sermon, but still have incredible value for our lives of faith. Um, and so we're going to talk about, we've been talking about seasons, we've been talking about stages, and uh, they, there's a lot for us to, to know and to see there, even if it doesn't, uh, even if there's isn't room for it on a Sunday morning. So um, this, uh, this episode is about young adulthood. Right, like that's kind of the stage mm-hmm. where we're finally, finally growing up. We moved out of our parents' basement, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> and, and we're on to young adulthood. For all of you who have gone, who are, or have gone through quarter life crisis. I moved back in with my parents when I was Did in my early. Oh yeah, man, yeah. Like we were trying to plant a church in Detroit, uh, and you know, we we kind of made a, a a rapid decision to to come home. Didn't have an apartment, didn't have a job, so I moved back in with my parents for. I think it ended up being like a year. Honestly, wow. yeah. And I, I was married. I had our first son. Wow. Just did it, you know, wow. thanks to my parents. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you could be a young adult and still live in your parents' basement. You can. You can be an adult and live a, a full-grown adult. There you go. Still live in your parents' basement. Yep. Yeah, so we're talking about young adults, and Eric Erickson would kind of say this is the stage. It's one of the most critical times of change, for better or worse, for a person. And the the, the things that are developed or, or not developed in this phase he would say is intimacy versus isolation Um, and I think more so than than that juxtaposition I think what's really interesting and and there's just a lot of studies around this where uh, the transition from adolescence to young adulthood and and for example so uh, we talked about last week where in adolescence you're still trying to discover your identity Mm -hmm. And, and so the question you're asking is who am I and in young adulthood, it's kind of built on that foundation. It goes from who am I to who are we or who am I in the midst of a social group? Yeah. And so it goes from identity to intimacy. How do you relate and, and interact with others in your group or in your family or spouse, you know, in, in those kind of settings? So the, the contrast to intimacy is isolation. So I suppose part of what we would say is that this could also be the stage if people don't progress into it, instead of moving into intimacy, they experience increasing isolation. Yes. And, and you know, what's really interesting, and, and again, maybe to our modern years, this ear, ears, sorry, um, uh, sexist, but um, again, Erickson wrote decades ago, but he would say, you know, men in general, and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll disclaim it, in general, uh, get really stuck in the I uh, portion of their identity, meaning adolescence. So when my wife accuses me of being <laughs> a middle schooler in a grown man's body, she's <laughs> she, she has strong scientific she, evidence. She is to right. To build that argument. But the thing that's interesting is uh, when we do that, um, because we're so w- we we never make the transition from I to we like men, maybe more so than women, but certainly women included. We can tend to focus on our careers, mm. and, and so studies have shown that actually the most successful business people actually have the fewest intimate friends. Wow! 
because they've been so focused on I yeah. early on. Yep. And that's all they focus on. There's no, like we, like marriage and other things, or even friendship is like an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. You know, if you think about adolescence or high school, even the beginning years of college, like relationships are, you can't really get away from them, right? No. You're in school or you're in classes. You're probably living at home with your parents. You maybe have siblings. Like you have to be involved in relationship. Right. But when you transition out of that, you have to be pretty proactive. You do. You, it's It doesn't just happen anymore. So right. it would make sense to me that that would kind of be the dividing point where somebody would be like, look, I don't, I don't really have the energy, you know, to focus. I mean, you hear people talk about how hard it is to make friends as an adult. You mm -hmm. know, it just requires putting yourself out there in in a way that you don't necessarily have to if you're crammed in a dorm room or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, like everybody, everybody knows everybody. In right, some sense. right. You know, on the flip side, though, uh, Erickson would also say that women in general, uh, instead of being stuck in the eye of their identity, they sacrifice their eye mm. for the sake of we. And so it's like there's they, they will sacrifice their own needs or, uh, for the sake of a, a relationship. Okay. And so that has, I don't know, really interesting kind of implications or connotations right, to that too. Right, like sacrificing a personal identity for a, a group identity or mm -hmm. a we identity instead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess the health probably sits somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and what does that look like, right? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the, going back to hugs, uh, you know, in, in this phase, too, we're talking about intimacy, uh, they, they will say that hugs and, and k even kisses uh, actually um, uh, help you help your both, not, not well, but your emotional health, but also your physical health. Really? Yeah, and... Um, and I don't know how this jives in a, in a season of COVID, but studies would even suggest that hugs and kisses don't transfer germs, but actually kill it. What? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that it can actually help you restore health. Kissing is good for your health. Sounds like the most clickbait <laughs> article title of all time. <laughs> Right. So, they, for example, they've done, they've done studies of widowers who, who are now deprived of physical affection, and, and they actually have a higher risk of heart disease uh, compared to those who aren't widowers or widowers who remarry mm. because of the role that intimacy uh, plays versus isolation in both emotional and physical, physical. health. That is really, that's really fascinating. Yeah, so go home and kiss your wife today. That's right. It's good for your health. <laughs> So how do we how do we talk uh, about um, intimacy and isolation or like this stage from like a spiritual perspective? Like we I think I think we understand sort of maybe I would say we understand that as you enter this stage sort of developmentally or physically, there's a lot of proactivity that's required to move into intimacy. It's harder to make friends, but it's but as you laid out it also is so so important for our mental emotional and physical health mm -hmm. how do we begin to talk about that from a like a spiritual perspective yeah i mean we could approach this from so many different perspectives but one perspective i'll share and, and i'm curious to see what you have nate but um uh, you know like what's fascinating is just the transition from adolescence to young adulthood mm -hmm. both uh physically emotionally spiritually um, like a framework that we haven't used because it's a, a bit more complicated uh, the terms are, but James Fowler, he, he's written a book called The Stages of Faith. And, and that book, especially the adolescent to the young adulthood 
uh, period is one that's just really fascinating for me and, and that I've seen over and over again uh, in, in the setting of the local church. And so Fowler would say, for example, during your teenage uh, stage of faith, and, and that's not so much to say, like, he, he would even say there's a lot of adults who have a teenage yeah, faith. right. This isn't tied specifically to your chronological age. It's, right, right. It's a different kind of developmental aspect. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's like, uh, um, it sounds like, it's like a conformist stage where you 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 belong to a community of like-minded believers, you're a part of a, a tribe, a church, but, but that environment actually creates and shapes all of your beliefs, your mm-hmm. deeply held convictions um, are, are formed there. And, and so you know what you believe, but you may not be able to tell somebody else why you believe that yeah. or how you know that's true other than to say, well, refer to some external authority, like, well, the Bible says so, yeah. or my pastor said this. And, and that's fine. But like when you start interacting with people who hold a different faith or no faith, it doesn't really work to say, well, the Bible says this. Right. right. So before we go into like the transition from teenage faith to young adult faith. I mean, there are some positive things, some formational things that happen sort of in the teenage faith yeah, environment, absolutely. right? What, like, I, I can see that, that, you know, you do want a, a foundation of confidence or mm-hmm. um, security, a sense of camaraderie, you know, getting people around you to, to sort of help you as you grow. Are there other things uh, before we just, we're going to eventually say that you need to move past it. But before we do that, I do want to give it sort of its due. I mean, absolutely. I, I think without a, a solid foundation, it's really hard to build on it. You know, so m- maybe this is getting a little ahead of the, the game, but for example, like um, one area of let's say biblical theology that might fa- fall under, let, let's say Fowler's teenage faith versus young adult faith is like how you view the seven days of creation. Okay. You know, and, and I grew up in a household where it was like, yeah, it's, it's seven literal days. You don't question it. That's what it is. Yeah. And it never became a big debate. It was just like, oh, okay, that's what it is. A- and even through college, it was like, okay, that, that's what it is. And then through seminary and onwards, there was, there was just a lot of like questions and kind of wrestling with that. I, you know, right now I hold a, a different belief like that. It wasn't a literal 24 hour, seven day thing. At the same time, if you, you, if somebody else holds that belief, Hey, like that's okay. This is a secondary mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Now when it comes to like the teenage faith. So for example, uh, raising our kids, my wife and I talked about like, well, how do we want to approach this with our kids? Yeah. And so we said, you know, when they're young, like this is what we teach them. Yeah. It's black and white. This is the foundation, God, you know, and we don't go like, oh, was it seven days? Was it, you know, 24 hours? It was just like God created the world in seven days. Right. Um, now that, that well, are they both teenagers? They are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that they're both teenagers, we're trying to help them move beyond the teenage yeah. faith and saying, hey, look, this is what different people believe about this. Mm-hmm. This is what I believe. This is what your mom believes. This is what your grandparents believe. You have to understand, like, you know, God's given you reason and logic, but also, you, you know, your heart and, and, and just your, the, the, your, the spirit lives in you. Yeah. And so there's a process of discernment, yeah. and, and that's leaning into kind of going beyond this teenage faith. Yeah, but in, the, in that sort of developmental uh, stage of faith, it, it can actually be 
uh, hampering for there to be too much gray, you know? Exactly. Like, it, it can actually uh, prevent us from sort of getting the firm footing that we need upon which we can build all of sort of the nuance and the gray that we know is coming. Right, right. Because if you don't establish that earlier on, you almost create this mindset of, like, everything is equally true. I see. And, you know, valid. N- not, you know, so, um, uh, again, differentiating between um, treating somebody with respect, even though they may have a different belief, that's very different. Th- and that's what we should do. That's very different from believing that all belief systems are all equally valid and all equally true. Right. right? Uh, y- y- there, there's no foundation. There is no, um, you know, you have to start with some black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you transition past the teenage stage, like you, you go from black and white dualistic thinking, and this is the way I describe it to people. You know, it, it's more like there is such a thing as black and white, right? Like yeah. there is wrong, there is evil, there is good, but um, the world is a lot more gray, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. doesn't dismiss the truths of the Bible or, right. or what God says is true. It, it's just saying, okay, black and white. That that's like the edges of a of a canvas, mm. and, and the, the the world is just a ton of gray. And if you get stuck or live in seeing everything as black and white, uh, that could really stunt your faith. You know, you start to see everything as like, oh, are they a Christian or non Christian? Are they saved or unsaved? Uh, are they in or are they out? Right. Right, and so as, especially as you grow into adulthood and you live in a pluralistic society, um, you know that may give you sure footing, maybe doctrinally. Man, it, it just creates a lot of problems socially, culturally, uh, in so many different ways. Yeah. One of the ways that I tend to think about a lot of things is sort of like on a spectrum. You know, like, yeah. so uh, you, you go all the way to one end of a spectrum and things are black. You go all the way to the other and let's say things are white, but, th- but it's not like it's black, black, black. Then there's a line and then it's white, 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 <laughs> right. right? Like there is a spectrum and, and a lot of our life sort of exists in that, in that middle space. Yeah, it, it does. You know, uh, one example I'll share. Um, so, and you, I think you were part of this conversation too, Nate. Like there was a, a person in the church and uh, our church is so transient. Like so many people move, they're here for school and then they move away. Uh, but th- th- there was somebody who was a good friend of both of ours. Yeah. And uh, he's, he wanted to meet with us and talk about a sermon I preached. This was j- actually, I think during uh, an election year, 20, I don't know what it was, but <clears throat> I talked about like how to, how to see ISIS and terrorism and Islam uh, from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. and especially more the violence part. And afterwards, uh, he sat down and he said, Sung, I just, I just need to say, like, the fact that you didn't say that Islam was wrong, mm. just that wasn't right. Yeah. And, and I said, brother, like, that, that wasn't the point of the sermon. Right. Like, uh, uh, we're talking about how do, you, how do you walk in the ways of peace and love right. in the midst of an environment. And this was, uh, you know, pre-COVID, like where, where terrorism, 9-11, all that happened. It was just like, this was, this was the, the issue that everyone was talking about. And uh, again, there was a sense of like, you, you either have to call it as wrong 
Right. Or if you don't, you're saying that it's true. Exactly. Like if unless you say these exact words, you are on the you're on this side of the line as opposed to this. And I remember that sermon and I remember being surprised because the context was so clearly one of sort of building your foundation on Christ and this is how mm-hmm. we respond, right? Um, I mean, one of the things that I tend to think of is, you know, there's the verse and a lot of people have probably heard it where it says that, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, mm. but God looks on the heart. And so when I think of sort of shades of gray, is there a point where, where God... Isn't that a novel? What's that? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I don't know where my head is. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus. Uh, so just realizing that it's true that, that there is a point that we would describe as maybe in or out. Mm-hmm. But, but we in our, the way that I think about it is that we in sort of our finite capacity, bringing all of our baggage, it's not our job to discern where that is all the time. Like, right. like a, there are extremes, but there's in the areas of gray, there are times when you just have to say, I'm just going to trust that God is going to sort this out or, yeah. or trust that he has his eyes on it. And, and I don't see everything. Yeah. And again, to those of you who are like, what, you guys are heretics? Just again, I'm going to say this again. We're not saying there's no such thing as black and white, right? right. right. Uh, l- let me, I, I had to look these quotes up because I read them so long ago. I remember reading this the first time in seminary, and it just, it was like uh, an explosion in, in, in my brain. Uh, a quote from C.S. Lewis, and maybe this is, um, uh, this one might be speaking more to those who are very black and white and dualistic in their thinking. But let me just, let me just read this uh, quote from, uh, from Lewis. He says, If you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you are an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you're a Christian, you're free to think that all these religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I tried to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in, as in arithmetic, there's only one right answer to a sum, and all the other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. The thing I love about that is I think he balances both of them. Yeah. He, he's saying, it, like, being a Christian doesn't mean, like, relativism. Right. Absolute relativism. But being a Christian doesn't mean, like, this dualistic black-white, we're right, you're wrong kind of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, again, I think, and, and that really translates into just even how we live and interact with each other as a church. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of something that I actually regularly say to staff as we're planning or preparing or goal setting um, or, or talking about how we're going to do something, which is simply that extremes, the reason we like black and white is that extremes are easy. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to say I am 100% here or I, or I am 100% there. But most of our life occurs sort of in the gray arena. And, and for me, if we bring this back to what Eric Erickson says, you can see how a need to embrace um, shades of gray mm-hmm. is what allows you to move into intimacy. Yeah. 
if you are if you are existing solely in black and white, the only thing that you can be one hundred percent sure of is yourself, and right. so you, that's where you're going to tend to retreat. You know, and as somebody else is going to come with a different opinion, and it's a shade of gray, and you have to decide they're either in or they're out. And if you do that enough times, you will not you will not have any friends. <laughs> you will not have any friends <laughs> left because someone is going to cross the line for you, right? right? right. Someone is going to cross the line somewhere, and if you can't sort of allow for that to be gray then you really only have one choice if you're being authentic, which is to cut yourself off. And and again, I don't want to come down too hard on people like this, but I know plenty of Christians that have done that. Yeah. They simply say, like, nope, like, uh, I'm cutting that person off. Right, right. And I would even say, too, maybe the the strong need for certainty, black and white, comes from perhaps a lack of development in the identity phase. Like, I don't know who I am, so the only thing I can, like, really be certain about is this belief. And and so, uh, again, not that you don't know who you are, but, like, these are stages of development. Yeah. And and none of us develop fully into any of these things. Right. But there are clues to go back to be like, okay, what areas or stages of my life has there been a lack of development or it hasn't come full fruition. Yeah. And it even can be, you can even be at different places in different areas of your life. You know, you can, you can really kind of be a black and white thinker in one area and see a lot of gray in others. And, um, so it is, it's not simply, it's not as, again, it's not black and white. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So can we talk a little bit about moving from a stage of sort of, you know, uh, what do you call it? Dualistic thinking mm-hmm. to embracing shades of gray. How do we begin? How do we begin taking those steps? Because in some ways, it's easy to say see shades of gray, but if you don't, how do you start? Um, okay, I, I will give you a what sounds like a very Christianese answer. Oh yeah, but then we'll backtrack. And you got to be washed in the sense. blood. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most Christianese thing I could think. To say. That's that's close. In the blood of the lamb. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that. <laughs> forgot that part of it. No, I, I would say keep Jesus at the center. Mm. Now, I know that sounds very churchy, but let's let's kind of step back. And, and these are terminolo- terminologies that, Nate, you and I use for very frequently with people. But it, it's the idea of bounded set versus uh, centered set. Yeah. I love this analogy. <laughs> so a bounded set is where like you have to create a boundary. Like you you create a theological border or a doctrinal fence and that fence keeps those who are pure, quote unquote, on the inside and those who disagree on the outside. And so everyone on the inside is of course loved and accepted and welcomed and if you're on the outside, well you didn't fit the requirements, yeah. you know, uh, of this belief or whatever. And so oftentimes in churches it's like, well, uh, you you have to believe exactly like we do, right? Or you don't fit in, right? And, and so, the, the, with without a clear uh, boundary, I, I think sometimes people can feel like a lack of security in their identity. Or who are we if we don't if we don't create these boundaries? And yeah. so, I mean, and, and maybe you'll like this illustration. This illustration, but it's kind of like uh, like you don't have any horses, do you? No, no, no horses on the farm. No, not yet. Okay, uh, maybe never. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm in a constant battle with my teenage daughters about whether or not we should have horses. <laughs> my daughter would be for that, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then she'd come over all the time. You want to buy a horse? You can, <laughs> keep, you can keep it at my farm. <laughs> but, like, just um, imagine, like, a, a horse corral, 
right? I mean, that uh, that's built to keep horses from wandering away, protect them from wild beasts and things. And um, I, I think, you know, on, on one hand, it provides safety. It provides, you know, you, you got good food. There's no predators. And so, so there is a security and a safety that comes into that. But when churches kind of take that posture, then it's like, well, he, you know, you can always tell because their doctrinal statements are like for, yeah. forefront of yeah. everything else. Yep. And very long. Yeah. <laughs> yes. With like a ton of references. Yep. Um, and so uh, that, that's like a bounded set. You know, a centered set, uh, 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 in contrast, there are no boundaries. There are no walls. And now, again, you might be like, whoa, what, what do you mean? There's, scary. There's, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, th- there's no us and them. Um, you know, there's not like guidelines for who's in or who's out. And, um, you know, and somebody may ask, well, how is this different from just like a random mass of people all just milling around? Yeah. Well, and that's where it's like, what's at the center? Mm-hmm. Um, a center set, uh, has no boundaries t- to keep people out, but it does have something compelling in the center to draw people in. Yeah. And so in the church setting, we would say, no, Christ is at the center. Right, right. And so it's not like, are you in or out? Everyone belongs in a centered set. It's more like how how proximate are you to the center and what direction are you moving? Yeah, for me, that is such a, a clear and clarifying point because you can be very close to the center, but if you're moving away, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter that you right. are that close. Right. And if you are if you are far, far away, but you're moving quickly towards the center, and I think we can all think of examples like that. I mean, a, a megachurch pastor that falls into sexual sin. Somebody might say, okay, that guy was close to the center, but guess what? In his personal life, his thought life, he was moving away. There's no, there's no other way to... to to land there. And then you also know, imagine someone who has lived a difficult life, but, but has a sort of dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. Do they still have crap in their life they need to deal with? Yes, absolutely. But if they are streaking towards Jesus, we start to say, look, it's okay. You know, uh, one of the most sincere uh, followers of Jesus that I knew, and he has unfortunately since passed away. He was a heroin addict that that I, I personally witnessed him relapse twice. Mm. And both times it almost killed him. Mm. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, that man was running for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this was a constant thing that he dealt with and struggled with. And he would have extended like years of sobriety yeah. and then fall back into it. But I'm telling you, you have never met someone who was so desperately trying to get close to Jesus. Yeah. And sometimes those people, I think, understand a, a level of desperation that we don't. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think, uh, especially in uh, the local church setting, we uh, we encounter this all the time. Where sometimes, for example, somebody will go through a, a membership class, and that's where we'll start talking about some of these things: primary doctrines versus secondary convictions. And people will be like, "Well, what's your view on this? On baptism or the end times?" Yeah, and, and you know, we'll be like, you know, uh, you know, I mean, the the end of the line is like, ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, and they'll be like, what do you mean it doesn't that's, matter? It's hard for people to hear. <laughs> it is. It is. And the thing that we'll say is, like, we are clear where Scripture is really clear. But where Scripture leaves a lot of room for, like, we, we leave that room too. And, again, like, differentiating between those live different levels, 
you can't, for example, deny like the divinity of Christ right. or, or the Trinity and still be like, oh, I'm a Christian, right. right? That's a primary doctrine. But when it comes to secondary convictions, like, oh, you, you believe this about baptism or do it that way or, or this about communion. Sure. Infant baptism. Do you yeah. dunk or do you sprinkle? Like yeah. there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. Oh, yeah. And so uh, again, again, using an animal il- illustration with center set, it's not a corral, but if you think about like a, a water hole in the African grasslands, that's a really good picture because there's like probably one water hole for like hundreds of miles in any direction in the middle of Africa, but you have all different kinds of animals coming to that center. Yeah. You may have a lion drinking from the same water hole as a zebra. Yeah. And they are so different. In fact, in any other setting, like the, the zebra would be prey. Yeah. But here they're they're both coming to the center, and so when 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 you think of that, when you use that grid in the context of the local church, it's like, you know, people will ask us about our beliefs and thoughts about a whole bunch of things, and, and again, not that those things don't matter. Please hear that secondary issues are very significant, and we should spend time thinking about them and processing them and asking God about them and searching the scriptures about them. Absolutely, right. Yeah, but but like wh- wh- who what's at the center and which direction are you moving yeah. in? That's more important to us than like well you you crossed all the Ts and dotted all the Is of our doctrinal beliefs. You you agree with every secondary opinion that we have. You know, I, and I I often say this too. Like sometimes I get along better with people who I disagree with on a secondary issue, but we we have fun debating about it and we know it's a secondary issue compared to somebody who I totally agree on on a secondary issue. But in my opinion, they just act like such a a jerk. Mm. You know, they treat the secondary issue as if like, you know, if you don't believe this, then you're out. How can you even call yourself a Christian? The the thing I love about your like horse corral analogy is that fences do two things, right? They keep things in, but guess what? They also keep things out. And it is very hard to get inside a fence. And so if we have, if the parameters of our faith, if we want them to be walls and fences, it's going to be very hard for people to get in. And that's not yeah. like, that's not who Jesus called us to be. That certainly is not the model that he set. You know, I mean, he accused the Pharisees. He's like, you know, he said, you, you are, you are putting burdens on people that you and your fathers couldn't even carry. Right. You know, and that's really that same sort of mindset saying, look, if, unless you're inside this circle, you are not a part of us. And Jesus is like, Hey man, you're outside that circle that you've just drawn. You know, <laughs> right. you don't realize it, but you are. And yeah. I, I know th- I have that tendency being totally honest. I have that tendency because I do love clarity. I love boundaries. I love clear lines. And so it's something that I fight against really regularly. Yeah. Um, This also reminds me, man, any, any chance I get to quote C.S. Lewis, uh, I do, but this is a a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn who was imprisoned in the Russian gulags. Okay. I wrote this three volume tome uh, called the Gulag Archipelago, and one of his probably one of his famous quotes. Uh, you've probably heard it. I love it because it speaks right to this. He says, "If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them." Sounds kind of like politics, right? It does. Right? <laughs> but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? And so it's like, it's not us versus them. Yeah. That line is right within us. Yep. Yep. 
Seems like a great place to wrap it up, Sung. There's been a lot to think about. I, uh, I, I personally feel challenged. Thanks, uh, thanks for your thoughts and your insights. So uh, what are we going to tackle uh, on the next episode? Young adulthood, and if we have time, we'll combine it with uh, later adulthood. All right, sounds great. We really hope that w- you will check us out next week. Thanks for being with us. 